welcome. I'm, my name is Daniel Crawford, and uh, I direct our college ministry here at Watermark, getting ready to fire up our fifth school year here, and uh, has been a joy to, to be at Watermark and call this home for the last five years. And so I would tell you guys before I get started, just that, uh, man, personally, I'm honored to be here in the sense that I, the world I came from and grew up in, there was like men waking up before the sun to come and, and open up God's word and open up themselves to learning and growing as, as leaders, uh, to lead themselves, to lead their families. That was, that was not a thing. And so uh, just know how encouraged I am uh, by you. I hope you're encouraged by how encouraged I am by you, because this is, uh, I know it's not common in your worlds either, that there's most men are not doing what you've chosen to do and commit yourselves to on Thursday morning. And so uh, I applaud you and this room spurs me on. And so it only took John Piper about six months to teach through Romans chapter eight. And so Karate told me I had 25 minutes and uh, for one of the most profound chapters in the Bible. So we're going we're gonna to get going on that. Before we pick up Paul's letter to the Romans, I want to read a different letter uh, written by a, a man to Continental Airlines, actually. And so you might have seen this, went viral. Uh, this is the letter from seat 29E. I'm going to read it for us. It says, Dear Continental Airlines, I am disgusted as I write to you about the miserable experience that I am having sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircrafts. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory, so close that I can reach out my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It is difficult to say what the worst part about sitting in seat 29E really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that's blown all over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? I've constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of a blanket into the overhead compartment. While effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a small bit of privacy, the the butt on my body factor has actually increased. As without my evil glare, passengers feel free to lean up against what they must think is some kind of blanketed wall. The next butt that touches my shoulder will be the last. I'm picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats onto this plane by putting them next to the lav. I would like to flush his head in the toilet that I am close enough to touch and taste from this seat. Worse yet, I've paid over $400 for the honor of sitting in this seat. Does your company give refunds? I'd like to go back where I came from and start over. Seat 29E could only be worse if it was located inside of the bathroom. We're finally descending, and soon I will be able to tear down the stink shield, but I assure you the scars will remain. So that's the letter from C29E. I start there just because it's funny, and, and it's funny because I think we've all like sat in seat 29E before, right? Maybe not on an airplane or in the back of a bus, like that exact scenario, but we've all endured very unpleasant circumstances, have we not? and desire to change in our circumstances and our surrounding. And so what I also know in a room of this size uh, is that that is true of us, not just in small, trivial things. I know that in a room of this size that we've walked through uh, deep pain and that we're, hey, I know we're tough, we're resilient, macho men, but I know that uh, some of us are walking into the room with wounds, man, open wounds. And if not open wounds today, then scars from previous wounds. And so uh, that leads us to Romans 8. 
into what I feel is uh, one of the nicest sounding, but one of kind of the most confusing verses in the Bible based on what I just said. And that's this, verse 28. It says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And so how do we reconcile that verse with our scars? Like what, what is good about the suffering that I've endured or the people I love are enduring? Right? If I've heard maybe on TV that, that you know, God loves to bless us with health and wealth as long as we're faithful and we obey him, then am I doing something wrong? Do I, do I lack the faith? Is it, is it me? Is it him? Like why would a, an all-powerful, all-good, all-loving God, why would he allow my past and my present suffering? These are the questions that if you haven't wrestled with them, I would be surprised. And I think we need to. I want to give us uh, a working definition as well around that word as we'll hear it in the text. And I'll say it several times, just suffering. What do, we, what do we mean by that? And so this is a really simple, really clear definition that Elizabeth Elliot gave, which if you know her story, um, suffering is a part of it. And so she just simplified it and just said, suffering is this. It, it's having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Having something said another way, I, I have something that I do not desire. Or I desire something that, that I don't have. That's suffering. And that's what Paul uh, is going to talk to us about here. So we've all experienced, we have different stories, different backgrounds, but we've experienced failure, firings, abuse, betrayal, sickness, cancer, death, loss, broken trust, broken vows, broken homes. I'm still single. I still haven't been promoted. My boss is still an idiot. My kid is still struggling with anxiety. I don't know what to do and how to help him. I'm still buried in this mountain of debt with no real light at the end of the tunnel. I'm still just owned by this addiction to the substance or to pornography or whatever it may be. And so I think this is so important because it's relevant to 100% of the human population. Like whoever you are, whatever your spiritual background is, if you're even a believer in Jesus today or not, whatever life stage you're in, we know this to be true, that you've either been through hardship, you're either in the midst of it right now or you will be soon enough. And if we don't ask these questions and wrestle with these questions and feel that tension and lean into it now, why would we expect to be ready to be able to process and respond when the storms do hit and when suffering does come our way? And so as we look at this passage in Romans 8 over the next 15 minutes, I know that you guys um, have this awesome Tim Keller resource that, that walks you through Romans verse by verse, which is incredible. And so we're not going to try and bite off the whole chapter, but I'm going to focus and zero in on verses 16 to 29. And the two goals that I have for this is I would love to place Romans 8:28, that verse in its proper context within the passage. And then I'd love to give us three P's, three words that start with P to help us navigate suffering. Three P's for when we have something we don't want or we want something we don't have. And so starting here in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God 
and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so the first P from this passage that I see, when we have something we don't want, when we want something we don't have, Paul tells us to have perspective. And the perspective, as simple as I could say it, is this, that Christian suffering is normal. Christian suffering is normal. Um, Aside from just the logic of it, which if you think about it, Jesus suffered excruciatingly. We're followers of Jesus. And so connect the dots on that, right? He paid for uh, the penalty of sin in full, uh, but we, he was not exempt from the consequences of sin. Neither are we as we navigate this life. And, And aside from the common logic, just check out the rest of the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians 6, Philippians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 2. You could keep going. It is everywhere, this theme of suffering and the life and in the journey of following Jesus. And then Jesus himself caps it off in John chapter 16. He says that in this world, you will have trouble is what he says. So that's all I got. Let me pray for us. Kidding, there's more. Here's the shift in perspective, and this is really, really key. If we know, okay, if we assume and expect that life is going to be hard and we're not exempt from that, if we assume that life is going to be hard, then we're not surprised when hard times hit. Like expectations are, are huge in life and especially in our spiritual life. If we assume and expect that life is hard, I'm not surprised when hard times hit. And so here's just for an illustration. I know there's a lot of fathers that are in this room. I know that there's also a lot of guys that haven't had that experience, but you've uh, seen the movies, right? And so, you know, the delivery room, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, right? It's why in verse 22 in Romans chapter eight, uh, Paul makes a quick reference. He says, creation has been groaning in the pain of childbirth, right? Childbirth and pain, those things are synonymous. And yet consider this, consider this, of women that have Uh, that give birth to a child, most of those women give birth to more children later, don't they? Not everybody. Like, I'm not knocking you if you're an only child. That's cool. Don't feel insecure. But most women, if you think about it, they sign up again. Why? Why in the world would they do that after they know what labor and delivery entails? And I think the answer is right there in verse 18. I'll reread it. It says that, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And so they know that, that the sufferings of that moment, which by the way is really like several hours, just so you're not surprised, that it's not worth comparing to the joy of what they can't see in that moment while they're giving birth and then what they finally can see and hold in their arms. The future hope is their anchor in the midst of that present pain. And so Jesus finishes that sentence in John 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And it's what Paul says in verses 24 and 25 of this passage, Romans 8. He says that hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so our perspective that we can carry is that suffering is normal. But as Christians, we don't suffer as those with no hope 
and no help, which leads us to verse 26. Let's keep reading. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints, that's us, according to the will of God. And so the second P, when we have something we don't want or when we want something that we don't have, when we're experiencing suffering, Paul points us to prayer. And he just simply tells us, it's okay when you don't know what to pray. And so breathe in with me real quick, deep breath, and let it out. Like, dude, we can resist the urge to have to slap a smile on our face, to have to be okay when we're not okay. Uh, We don't have to sound spiritual and say things that we don't really mean. We can resist the urge to use this formal, eloquent, rigid, religious language to talk to God. It's not what he's looking for. God desires intimacy. He desires authenticity. He desires a real relationship. And we know that real relationships, they have ups and downs, right? And so here's just, if this is still like, I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. Just prayer 101. If you are totally stuck, you don't even know what to say, what to pray. Just start with just saying, I feel, Lord, I wish, Lord, I'm struggling to just complete that sentence. It can be the simplest 10 second bullet prayer you've ever prayed. And I think that's honoring to God. I think that if we open up God's word, we read the book of Psalms, there's some raw stuff in there, man. It is not good, all good, all the time in there. And I don't think God's afraid of that. I think he invites us to be real with him, to be honest with him. And so we don't have to say the right thing. We just have to talk honestly with God. And so perspective and prayer are the first two Ps, which leads us back to where we started, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The third and final P, when we have something we don't want or when we want something we don't have, when we're experiencing suffering, is that Paul reminds us that there is a purpose in our pain. Our pain is never pointless. And what we can take to the bank is that God is completely unwaveringly devoted to his glory and to our good. So again, that's, that's, what does that mean? That doesn't feel correct. That doesn't connect with my human experience. And I would just say this, I think this is the key, is, is how do we define that word, that four-letter word, G-O-O-D? What does that mean? What is that? And I think the reason we have a hard time connecting is that the way we define good is just different than what God defines as good. And so if we only knew how God defined good, that would be really helpful for us right? I wish he did that. He actually did that. Let's reread that passage. Verse 28 and 29. Watch the progression here. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among 
many brothers. And so I would simplify it by just saying this. I think that we define good based on, uh, we see it through an external lens. Like we look at circumstances, we look at situations, we see things externally. I think that God defines good uh, through an eternal lens. I think that we think about our external lives here on earth. I think that he thinks about our eternal lives now and forevermore. And so the question, how does he conform us to Christ? What, what is that? What does that mean? I think the answer is that if anybody knows suffering, it's, it's this man, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And in this undesirable way, this way that like nobody's really itching to sign up for as far as how to connect with Christ, we can connect and deepen our intimacy with Jesus as we faithfully endure suffering just like he did. And in that place where we don't want to be, where nobody wants to be, we can meet him there. And I know that in that place, he desires to meet us there. The last thing I would say about that is just that I think the most challenging time to really see and embrace that is when we are in the thick of it, when we are sitting in seat 29E, right? It is hard to see past that. And so I think the main thing, the ingredient that really just as we live gets us, it bridges that gap from our definition of good to his. I think the main thing that's missing is, is time, think that it's been said it's not scripture but I think there's truth in it that you know time helps heal wounds JP who's on staff here says often that if you're looking at it if if it's not good he's not done if it's not good he's not done if we choose to cling to Christ in the midst of our suffering over time we inevitably will conform to his image. That's what that passage is telling us. And that is a good thing. That is a win. It's not always a fun thing. It's not always a positive thing, but I believe it is good. And so to close here, I'd love to share um, what the three Ps have kind of looked like for me uh, in these past few years. And so uh, to take us back to 2015, uh, figured out with my wife uh, that we were pregnant with our first child. And so summer 2015, all the emotions come into my head. Holy cow, I'm going to be a dad. And so 40 weeks long is the pregnancy. We figured out about 11 weeks in, about a quarter of the way in, uh, we got blood test back and it said that, hey, we figured out chromosomally uh, that your son is a boy. Oh my gosh, I have a son. I have a son. And that, that your son was conceived with a chromosomal abnormality called trisomy 18. So that's a life-limiting diagnosis. Doctors would say that that is incompatible with life outside of the womb. And they would say that oftentimes that's incompatible with life inside of the womb. And so in a moment, expectations, just world turns upside down and and it embarked us upon what would become a seven-month journey through that pregnancy of just complete uncertainty, just total vulnerability. We had no say, no control in the matter of what was gonna happen with our boy. And so just thinking through the three Ps, the first one, just the perspective, the Christian suffering is normal. Um, One of God's kindest provisions for us in that season was the fact that he gave us a few years around this place before Abel was conceived. And we had categories at that point in 2015 that we honestly didn't even have in 2012 um, for how how do we view life? 
right? 90 plus percentage of, uh, of those situations result in abortion. We knew that wasn't an option for us. How do we view trials and suffering? How do we view God's sovereignty and how we trust him in the midst of, man, if he could do something, why wouldn't he do something? We had categories for that. We had a perspective being equipped by the local church. The second page is prayer. Man, there was a lot of Romans 8, 26 moments for us is what I would say, where I had no idea what to pray. Uh, I didn't know what to feel. I didn't know what to think. And I think God was really patient with me in that. Uh, There was a lot of moments where I was angry. Uh, And then there was other moments where uh, I felt freedom to ask him to heal my son. Uh, I know you could do this. And so I'm asking you to. And so 2016, uh, we finally got to meet my son, Abel Paul Crawford, uh, was born on January 22nd, 2016. So that's my boy right there. And so we got to love, cherish, take care of him uh, for 15 days outside of the womb. And uh, on February 6th in the morning, uh, on our couch in our living room, uh, we were with Abel and he took his last breath and he passed away. And so in that moment, I'm not thinking about God's purpose there. Uh, I'm not thinking about God's goodness there. Um, I'm not feeling anything but pain. And I would say that uh, I think I'm gonna spend the rest of my life, as long as God tarries, continuing to see, man, what was his purpose? What was his design in writing my son into human history with a sick, broken body uh, that was only gonna sustain life for a couple of weeks outside of the womb? And so I don't know all the answers to it. Here's a few quick takeaways that I would just share that I have that he's been kind to show me in the last few years is just that number one, um, joy and sorrow are not mutually exclusive things that I would say that finally, uh, if there's one thing we say about that season is that it was like spiritually and just overall in our marriage, like it was the best season of our lives and it was the hardest season of our lives, both Right, it's not one bucket over here and the other over here. And in fact, with, with greater depths of one, often come greater depths of the other. See also the gospel, by the way. Right, there's a cross and a crucifixion and then there's a resurrection and an empty tomb. Worst thing that's ever happened, best thing that's ever happened. They're connected, they go together. Second thing is that uh, a gift that Abel's given us as his parents, Kelly and I, is just that we think about Uh, eternal things a lot more than we used to. And we think about earthly things a lot less than we used to. And so uh, I still get distracted, preoccupied by what's right in front of me, but um, there's a perspective that he's blessed us with. Um, Third, just that Abel's life we knew was instantly had changed ours forever. We knew that. Uh, It has also since changed Kelly's vocation. And so... um, we founded a nonprofit organization called Able Speaks. And so families that get a diagnosis like that and the very few that do decide to carry those children, um, we come alongside and support those families. And so our vision there is that every family would cherish their child's life and have hope in the midst of sorrow. And so we found out after the fact that Hebrews 11.4 is a verse in the Bible that literally says, through faith, though he is dead, Abel still speaks. And so we believe that, that God is speaking through our son's life and through his legacy and that that's one way that it's happening. Uh, Another small thing that just felt like a hug is that a year later, uh, we gave birth to our daughter. Uh, 
on January 22nd, 2017. Abel's birthday, same hospital, same room. And so we could read into that, but I'll just say it felt like a hug from the Lord and that that was a sweet thing. And uh, my daughter's name is Mayfield and she shares a birthday with her big brother. And uh, finally, I would just say that I, in the midst of all that, Daniel Crawford in 2018 compared to 2014, I would say that I understand God less now than I did then. I don't understand God. But I would say that I know God more now than I did then. And that it's strange, doesn't really make sense, but I understand him less and I feel like I know him more. And again, as God defines good, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. So to summarize, when you have something you don't want or when you want something that you don't have, Christian suffering is normal. It's okay when you don't know what to pray and there is purpose in your pain. And so I'd love to close us just by reading uh, the end of Romans 8. And so I'm just gonna, if you could, if you wanted to bow your heads with me and pray, I'm just gonna pray Paul's words in verses 31 through 39, and then we'll close up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword Now, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord.